Stay ready is the mentality birthed through the trials and triumphs in life as an NFL long snapper. Join me in conversations with teammates, mentors, friends, and family who help me realize stay ready is so much more. A deeply rooted principle of life in all things faith, family, and football. From Music Row in Nashville, welcome to Stay Ready, the podcast. All right, man, we're back for another episode. I got my really good buddy. We go back, let's go back 20 years to old Western Washington University, home of the Vikes. Yes. Michael Lisenby, everybody. Um, Singer-songwriter, but he was also my uh, former teammate in college at Western. And you moved here to Nashville. Has it been two years or is it over? We just, we just crossed a year on July 4th. Yeah, July 4th. So you're here now, established in Nashville, all the way from the Pacific Northwest. Yep. I wanted to bring you on, man, because, you know, we've been, we're former teammates, college buddies. Now you're here diving headfirst into Nashville with the music scene, taking on that career as a, a singer-songwriter. Um, but I also want to talk about your transition, um, from law enforcement to music. Um, music has always kind of been a passion of yours. I remember, I remember you, uh, maybe not strumming a guitar, but I, I kind of feel like you always had a voice. Did you, did you? Yeah. I mean, I, I sang a lot, like even just screwing around, but yeah, but just, but I feel like you always, you were always humming, you were always singing and you always had like a naturally a, a very good voice. When I recall like thinking about. Cause you and I played D line, man. Yeah, DLB baby. Uh, D line pride, but um, I just always remember like you, you were pretty good naturally. God bless you. I, I had the pain to say that. But. Oh man, but hey, welcome to the uh, stay ready of the podcast. Um, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out, but this is a long time coming, man. Because, um, you know, when I think of like people who I want to bring on, like dude. Mike Lisenby's got to be on here, man. We have so much in common with our past through college and football. Too small, but, too small of a world. I know, but having one of my boys now here move to Nashville is, is pretty cool. And you moved the entire family here um, a while back, and you've really just kind of dove headfirst into this music thing. So uh, let's let's go back a little bit. Let's reminisce about the old Viking days, man. Yeah. So Mike and I first met, uh, you know, I went to Western 2005 through 2008. So I, I we met 2005. Yep. We played together. You were at uh, what, Diablo, Diablo, Diablo Valley? Or Diablo Valley. Yeah, you see me. There you go. Tran- transferred in with like uh, Noel Tafoya, yep. Ryan Davidson. Yeah, I miss those guys. Um, but we all played D-line together, which is yep. the coolest thing. Um, and we we had like the greatest time. I know, I know Western is, no longer has football and that's, one of the massive unfortunate things about it because we never, we don't have the opportunity to go back to campus for a game right. and reconnect with former teammates. That, that nostalgia is kind of getting missed for a little while. It is, man. And, and hopefully they bring it back one day so that we can all reconnect. But, um, I mean, talk about your time at Western. Did you, uh, um, when you look back, I mean, was it one of the best times of your life? I mean, was football awesome? Was, uh, uh, do you still keep in touch with guys from the team that we played with? Uh, for, well, for one, I mean, football was awesome. I mean, you know, yeah, that, yeah. just, I think for me, it's like, it was, college was a different experience just cause, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew since I was a kid, I wanted to be a cop. So I, but I also knew I wanted to play ball in college. Yeah. So I don't, it was probably not, I mean, it worked out and obviously, uh, you know, the good Lord's got our story set for a reason, but it's like, looking back, it's like, I mean, I only went to college just cause I wanted to play ball and yeah, yeah. have some good, have good times in that. And that, because I knew I was, I wanted to be a cop once I got out. Yeah. Well, you know, Western was division yeah. two football. So yeah. I would think for the most part, 
90 percent of guys that are coming to play football there are for the pure passion and love for the game facts i mean they only had so many scholarships to give out so not i mean let's just say half the team is not even on scholarship you got mm -hmm. 90 guys so maybe roughly 40 to 50 guys are actually have some sort of scholarship right um d2 has all these regulations not a lot of money to go around uh, some guys are just purely playing walking on yep you know and so uh small town small school football uh for us in the pacific northwest i mean there wasn't a lot there was western there was central western oregon gmac yeah the gmac right okay. Humble state we had to do a round robin yeah and play each other twice a year because there wasn't that many d2 programs on the west coast right and then later on we had to travel a little bit further to go to the midwest where it's more prominent but yeah uh, I mean, dude, looking back at Western's like it was truly like just pure passion of the game. Yeah, there was no egos. There wasn't all these guys trying to go to the league. Uh, even coaches, like they're there as a stepping stone. They're there grinding. They're not getting paid a lot of money to be. They're all, they're all trying to, you know, they 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 have their goals to get to that sure. spot too. Yeah, and it's like, but anyway, I to me it was just it was a great time, and I think it was a great building block for like you know mine and all of our work ethics yeah, just yeah. You know, it's it is a grind you had to earn it man look you had full, we had a phonathon to do like hey yep. we need to raise money because we need new cleats or we need yep. new shoulder pads or helmets and like dude it was like we thought these were the sickest helmets back in the day and these were like you know just middle of the road kind of like helmets but like we had to like fundraise every year for travel suits you know, but, there, but there was a cool almost like a cool grind to that though that just yeah. like that, that little bit of that grit too but just well, everyone was in it together. Yeah. And there was no, like I said, the ego thing, like, there was none. Because, like, we had to fight and scrap for everything we got. Yep. And we're, not to mention, we're on a campus where, you know, sports is not as important as academics. Right. So, you know, football, for the longest time, they were talking about canning it forever. I mean, even when we were playing there, there was always a room where, like, hey, I heard this. Or, hey, I heard that. Or, they're trying to get rid of football. Um, and for whatever reason, like we were there, like they just, you know, we scraped by, right. You know, we didn't have an on-campus stadium. Um, we shared, I mean, we had an awful locker room it was grinding, <laughs> grungy. It was like high school. It really was. It really was, you know? And so when it came to like the pecking order of athletics on campus, you know, most schools football is the cream of the crop yeah. where it's, it's, it's the standard across all board. But for us, it was like we were like basketball took a precedent over to us, volleyball, soccer. And then, you know, slowly football just became less and less important. Right. Um, and eventually they got rid of it. And that's not to say that we were bad. We had a good program. Yeah. You know, and I remember the year that they they got rid of the program. I think they went to a bowl game. They had a they had a good, good season. Um, I think they they won the Rotary Bowl or whatever it was yeah. when when Coach Ross was there. Um, not to mention, we had dudes going to the league out of the, you know, Junior Amavai, Shane Simmons. Like, we had dudes that were going somewhere. Like, Will Davis. Keaton, you, just all you, all you get. Sorry, you going. It, 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 guys that go to the CFL. Yep. You know, so it was like Calvin McCarty, Ryan Lucas. We had some studs. Sure, folks, we're definitely getting traction. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it wasn't like we were just like this, like, you know, black eye of football. No, like Western Washington was a legit program. Yeah. And yeah, Central Washington at the time was really good too. Right. You know, so it's unfortunate that it's gone. Um, but the friendships last forever. Facts. I can't, I mean, I think about, I still talk to Junior a lot, uh, James Day, Ryan Lucas, Tafoya. Um, I mean, is there anybody in particular that you keep in contact with? Honestly, lately it's just been you for the most part. Just because naturally we're here. We're just because you know, and I've you know, it's not that 
I've tried to avoid people. It's just like, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into just the, especially the last couple of years for yeah. me have been so much just personal battles and transition and just real gut checks on what direction our, our life's going to be. It's yeah. like a lot of my social life and stuff like that kind of was put on pause sure. just to get a grip on what's going on. Um, but I mean, even guys like you, like, you know, Lucas and those guys, they could, you know, Tony Duncan, like they all, you know, they were all at my wedding and it's like, so I keep, I keep in touch with all these guys as much as I can. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, but it's, it's nice that the dust has settled a little bit to try to really recap. Cause a lot of these, like you said, these friendships, you know, even though time has passed, it, it's like anywhere you can just, you can just pick up where you left off and it's just, there's no, there's no, That's there's a, not, there's, there's not like an awkward on ramp. It's yeah. just like, what's up fellas? Cause you go back to the times we spent together at Western and Bellingham, which is one of the most beautiful campuses in the world. I mean, I will argue that to the day I die, I'll die on that hill that Bellingham is a special place. Whatcom County in general is, is incredible. Um, it was funny cause when I worked out for the Jags last week, Doug Peterson, the head coach, he's from Ferndale. Okay. So he can't, yeah, he came up to me. He's like, hey, Western Washington. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. He's like, well, I'm from Ferndale. I was like, shout out, man. I was at Michael Canyon, uh, Jake Locker. Like, yep. we were talking about those guys. But, like, you know, that that corner of the country is, like, special. It's unique. Yep. I mean, we have Mount Baker in the background. Yep. We got the lakes. We got the ocean right there. So, like, geographically. It's very unique. It's very unique. And it's very, very special. And so, like, our time for football, like, you know, we're there to ball, but I think the bond outside of sport, like we always, we kind of did everything together. Yeah. You know, we went to the parties together. We, we tried to get in the same classes together because, you know, Western's a, you know, 15,000 undergrad students, yeah. but it felt very, very small knit. Yeah. Small, tight community. So athletes, I kind of just migrated together. Well, and it's like, yeah, like you said, everything together. Like, you yeah. up, everyone's like, hey, let's bomb up to Whistler. Let's bomb up the bank. Exactly. Let's, yeah. The, Let's go float the river. Let's, let's go lake walk hit the bay. Padded, man. All those places, bro. Like do some cliff jumping over. It's just it's it's yeah. it, but it just that that posse just yeah. kept moving and just had those mutual experiences, yeah. which was very unique, but really yeah. pretty special. Yeah. So shout out Western. Yep. Go bikes. Go bikes. Bring football back, please. Yes. Um but let's talk about your transition after Western. So you talk about law enforcement. That's always been your passion. Yeah. So I come from a law enforcement family. My dad's a retired captain. My brother is currently active. Um, I have a ton of friends, uncles who are, you know, in that field. And at, at one point in my life, like, you know, the dream for me was football, but secondary was like law enforcement. It was like in my blood, very natural for me to get into it. I've been around it my entire life. My stepmom, uh, at the time, she was a dispatcher. So it was like I was just kind of always kind of engulfed in that world. Um, you know, my dad's best friends became my uncle. You know, like I love those guys to death, but and they're all cops. Yeah. And um, I remember doing ride-alongs with my dad, doing ride-alongs with friends and my brother. Um, and it was the closest thing that I could I could feel to athletics in the sense of like the locker room. You know, the lineup before the camaraderie, the the training, the discipline, every day is different. The tasks, they're all different. You know, everything is like it's a game plan. So when I thought of like, man, what where can I get fulfillment outside of sport if football's not gonna work out for me? Like law enforcement was like right there. Right. So there was a time when I had a fork in the road, like, hey, kinda had to sit down conversation with my dad, like, you know, what's what do I wanna do? You know, am I gonna still keep pursuing this dream of football? Or do I take the next step and, you know, apply to get into academy somewhere? Right. You know, football worked out for me. But ever since then, I've, I've always had this uh, extreme passion to support law enforcement. 
to use my platform to do ride-alongs in Indianapolis, to do SWAT training in California with yep. uh, Stanislaus County. Like, I love that stuff, dude. And so for you, where did that passion, you know, kind of take off for you in, in regards to being a, want to be a cop? So very similar, like, um, like my dad was a cop for 25 years in Seattle and um, my mom was a dispatcher for a long time out there. And like, you know, we just, a lot of, a lot of service oriented in my family. Like, you know, my brothers were all EMTs or firefighters. And then even, you know, once I, especially once my career started going, it's like, it just, we just ine inevitably had a pretty, um, first responder forward family. Like all my brother-in-laws are all cops. It's like, it's just, it really just ended up being, I just kind of a family tradition. If you want to, if yeah, I want to like take, I, take off after, you know, Hank Williams Jr. with, you know, it just, yeah. it was just the thing that made the most sense that yeah. would just like, you know, it's like anything. It's like, you know, if your family's like, you know, you know, come from a family of like just different craftsmen and stuff like that, like that's what language you're, you're kind of brought up. And yeah. so it naturally feels like that, that fits. I'm sure just like yours, you just obviously had so extra talent. So that's immensely play, play I mean, ball. I mean, it's, it's one of the more, um, you know, pay wise. I mean, it, it pays well you know, coming out of college. I yeah. mean, finding jobs is incredibly difficult. Yeah. You know, I know, um, you know, the benefits of it are great. Um, you know, there's obviously the, you know, when you're at the bottom of the totem pole in law enforcement, like you're working the tough shifts, the midnight shifts, the weekend shifts. Sure. You're working all the time. Like my brother, like, has, literally has like no days off, but he's just exhausting as much OT as he can. He's doing everything to try to get, you know, SWAT certs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I saw it pay when I saw my dad get to the latter part of his career where he was now going from sergeant to lieutenant to, to captain and applying for, yeah. you know, the different positions and seeing like, you know, his retirement and his pension, all kind of stuff. And, and a lot of cops um, were making that transition at that age where now they're they're exhausting their retirement at one department and transferring to the next department to, to collect another uh, retirement. Yeah. You know, so I was like, man, like long term like this could be it you know like this is set you up well um but again this is around the time where things started getting a little shady and iffy with law enforcement where it just like yeah. it went from this noble job to where like it just became demonized yeah and so when did you get what year did did you go straight from western into an academy I, I i finished uh western on a friday and i started the pd about monday did you really with what uh with like i, I started i started initially with the city of monroe it's okay. just, it was a smaller department out uh, where i was from yeah um just because like you know I, mean, I was 21 years old i just I, I in my mind i just um i knew i wanted to be a cop yeah i, I it just to me it didn't it just the only thing that was the up in question was what badge or patch i was going to wear and i just i wanted to get my foot in the door and just yeah. start, start going and um, I got picked up early on and, you know, it was a blessing for me. It was a, you know, I had a great time there. I only, I ended up, I didn't once I got hired there. And so it was the summer of 07. Okay. Um, so I finished up there with school, started there and, uh, was there for about three and a half years. But then when the economy started going down, Man. um, towards the end of, you know, 08, 09, yep. beginning of 10, um, you know, we unfortunately one of the cities that weren't doing too well financially. So they were having to make layoffs. So, okay. That prompted some urgency to find any place that was hiring at the time because, yeah. again, at the problem was the economy was going down, so there was also not a lot of people hiring. So I had to scramble, but luckily, another nearby city, uh, okay. Kirkland, was just into big annexation, so they were happened to be hiring a bunch. So I was like, threw my papers in that night, and yeah. luckily, just by the good Lord, we grace we go. Yeah. So I got in because my mortgage was due at the same time yeah. that next month, so I had to, I had to start 
step my game up and kind of yeah. hustle a little bit. So I finished up there and did the rest of my time uh, at the city of Kirkland. Okay. So I'd have to imagine like, you know, the physical test that you had to take was pretty easy for you. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to give, uh, Mike his flowers a little bit. Like dude, dude was like one of the strongest dudes pound for pound on the team. Like this dude, oh, for real, you were. If only, if only that we were trying to power clean during the. the no, dude, dude, you were for like three fifteen on the bench for like nothing. I'm like, gosh, dang, like you were, you were that dude in the lot in the in the weight room. But like, was it, it was it fun to kind of now take your physical traits and skill to like another profession? Whereas, because I know, like for me, when I, I obviously I, I see. The test for that is that that's easy. Like, you know, for for an athlete, it, you know, running a mile or push ups and pull ups, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, seems pretty easy. But to take your skill set, everything that you learn from football, um, and not trying to compare football to you know, law enforcement, there's a lot of things that you can carry over that I feel would benefit you. So, were you excited to take kind of all the the things that you learn from sport? And translate that into law enforcement. I, I think so, and I think a lot has to do with. And I learned pretty quickly on how much those net benefits were with, because there was kind of like we said, there's there's all the other auxiliary things physiologically that happens when you're doing that kind of not only shift work in general, yeah. but when you're also adding in those just those those different factors of of violence and emotions and sure. and the highs and lows of adrenaline rushes and crashes and it's just like and just the emotional trauma you you either experience yourself or you go to if you can control something like your 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 physical ability yeah when you're then facing with those other things you don't you're able to either handle a little bit better and you're or you're able to process through it better right. especially you know the obvious one is you know if you get when you get in fights it's like if you're physically able to handle yourself a little more that confidence level is really can what get you through because that'll you know that confidence that keeps you calm and calm is cool and you can yeah. you can then process through and make good decisions because really at the end of the day that's what you know the important thing is can you make good decisions under stress with little to no time to process yeah and that's really what the job was is that you're going to these you know lord knows what the situation is you just the tones go off and you're just you're trying to figure it out as you're heading there going you know going you know going, you know, quickly running code there. So you're already doing something that for most people would start pinging their internal RPM of just like they're at max capacity on just driving quickly through traffic, let alone you're trying to listen to the radio, coordinate who's coming from where, what the details are, and just so that way you can get there and solve the problem. Yeah. You know, it's like, so you, you're not doing anyone any good if you're already at your max processing level just by the knowledge of what's going on, let alone now you got to go do something to put yeah. in action. So, and that's where I like to bring in like the sport aspect, especially football, because yeah. it's, it's again, I don't want to compare, but it's easy to like look back at football. You get a call, mm -hmm. you line up, you react off the play, yep. your intuition, your instinct kicks in on, you know, what you see, a guy coming at you. How do you yep. react? And so you take that skill set because honestly, like, you know, we go through a lot of adversity as an athlete. And a lot of it's physical and mental. Um, you know, the dog days of football practice or you're in the game and you're just getting your butt whooped or, you know, you have to make adjustments and adapt to the situation where I think like a lot of people that go into specifically maybe law enforcement have never experienced some sort of adversity like that. Yep. Um, or haven't been challenged physically, mentally, and emotionally in certain settings where as an athlete coming into this profession where you're talking about all these things that going on at once where a lot of people may, their reaction and the emotion gets so high that they can't function on 
the task, whereas you felt like maybe it would, there was a benefit to athletic background to come in to help you in those situations. Obviously, it's completely different. Yeah, but like the but the skill sets or the building blocks are there. Yeah, it's like it's no different than like you know you know I look I still to this day look back and just like there was, was one of the last you know travel days that I was on before because I was I got hired not too long after was I think we were out in excuse me like St. Cloud I think okay yeah we were yeah. we were down you know yeah a good amount like towards the end and it was looking pretty rough yeah and but everyone just like no. Well, yeah. I had this and just one play later another, you know, like whether it was a turnover or yeah. pick six, and then it's like you can see the momentum change where it's like if everyone already checked out, yeah, and like you know, once you started facing that adversity, it's like it's easy to count yourself out, but yeah, yeah. being able to have that, you know, like, no, I'm not going out like that, yeah, sure. you can still come back and do it as long as you're mentally in the game, sure. You know, I, you know, I, whenever I'd have new folks, like when I was training them, it would, you know, the way I'd articulate a lot of it was, you know. Our job is very simple in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in that it's simple as far as the linear answer to the pro- a lot of the problems. The challenge is being able to effectively do it, though, and put in action. So it's easy to say one plus one is two. Yeah. But to then go and do that or solve whatever problem is, yeah. that's where the challenge is. And, yeah. you know, it's easy to talk it, you know, kind of just chalk talk the answer. But, okay, now go do it with the person that's yeah. not wanting you to have it, have it done to or go stop that fight or go... You know, be there. So it's that idea of just where the rubber meets the road of, yeah. um, where then a lot of that's, that's the experience and that, that mental toughness, yeah. and, you know, just that training and just that willingness to put yourself out there and to keep wanting to get better yeah. because it may very well, um, someone else's life might very well depend on and, and or your own. So it's, it's, it's imperative for y'all just, just to be, hopefully be on the best of your game because. You know, you talk about the pay and stuff like that. It's like, you know, people get it kind of twisted a little bit where it's like, you know, they'll get, you know, and they'll see a cop pull over the side of the road, just taking a, taking a break. And they're like, what are, what are you getting paid for? It's like, you know, I, something that someone said a while ago, stuck with me. It's like, you're not paid for the little individual things you're doing. You get, you get paid for what you might have to do. Yeah. And that's not always doing like some real serious, but it's like, Hey, he may have just came from a horrible crash. He may have just came from a nasty DV. He just, he may have just. He may have just personally got a phone call for something bad in his life that, hey, he still has to shove that because a call's coming, he's got to go. So all these different things that most people are not um, pervy to, but we still, you know, we st- it's all on us to still yeah. put that professional hat on and go serve, serve and do what we're supposed to do, and we'll deal with our stuff later, hopefully. Did you have any idea of, like, just the potential, you know, mental struggles emotional struggles that the job would entail like going into obviously we hear stories like i'm sure your dad has shared several stories with you in his career um obviously you see tv shows you hear but in the academy do they really like and you go through a psych evaluation you go through a lot of different processes to get hired and get through the academy and they do their best to like really kind of weed out the week i guess you can say but do you think like the academy really does a great job on prepping yeah, the men and women that are now we all depend on to keep. I would, I mean, in it, you know, it's weird because it's even just the from you know, I I was I was in the academy like you said, like you know, fifteen, you know, sixteen years ago. It's yeah. like even just from that chunk of time since then, it's changed drastically. Yeah, on and a lot of it has to do with politics and perception and just you know, and not. I mean, I'm not trying to get political, but there there is a balance of when you're talking about the effective ways of of protecting to keep people safe yeah 
isn't always nice and pretty. Yeah. And for for different reasons. Yeah. But you know, and in, in your there seems to be a lot of priority on just you know the feelings of things in a perfect situation where we all know life's not perfect and evil exists and we got to fight that as best as we can. Yeah. Um, but I would say that for the most part in the academy, it would it's just a there's good things because it's it exposes because there's there's honestly you get people that, that on paper are good candidates. Yeah. But you know have never even touched uh, a firearm yeah they don't even know which way the bullet goes in or, or comes out they've never been in any kind of physical conflict they've never had anyone raise their voice to so you have versus some of the you know versus some all the other but on the other extreme like a super squared away like navy seal or like you know army ranger or you know delta guy coming in and this is no problem for them so you have the both sides of this yeah. and they're both getting the same program and so the initial on-ramp of the academy it's truly for the most part it gives them a little taste of what's going on the mainly gets them understanding and enough of like the laws and procedures to where you can go out and lawfully do your job yeah really that where the rubber eats the road is on the department to then in how structured how squared away is their field training sure it's, especially now though it's hard because like you said you hit them a little bit with the dynamics of how law enforcement specifically is perceived it's like it's so demonized of what used to be a very honorable path to go. It's like the good folks that are qualified to do it, they're like, I don't know if I want this kind of drama. Yeah. And it's really hard because then, the, but it's still a needed profession to which we all see. So the folks that are now coming out, not necessarily the ones that would have probably had a chance to get hired a few years back, but now just based on absolute desperation for, for agencies, they've got to just, they've got to be, bring people on and just pray it works out and, or they're extremely understaffed well that's what i mean like and over and over they're, so they're so understaffed and yeah. the and the morale the morale of their department is so diminished yeah. because of things like hey the few folks you have now they're getting overworked they're getting a rundown and then you know and they're all human and it's yeah. like and then you have factor you, you know you you getting vacations denied you're having to come in on when you're sick you're having to, to work anniversaries date nights christmases holidays all the time because they don't have staffing and those guys are there it's like they're like do i want is this good for me physically and yeah. mentally and at what cost yeah my brother's going through that right now like yeah. the department that my dad worked for for almost 30 years is where my brother now works at yeah and growing up man like in the 90s like bro i used to love going to the department seeing the car seeing the you know the swat outfits like going to the locker room and going on little ride-alongs and like just seeing my dad and his best friends just like there was some honor prestige there yeah yeah but it was like the the city had their back too you know whereas now it's like my brother like the department has completely flipped on its on its head to what my dad went through completely different like environment you know they hire from outside they bring in these you know new chiefs who are Extremely liberal and much consultants. Exactly. And there's nobody in house that like truly like, you know, it's not, it's not the old school days anymore where you have the support. It's honorable. It's, it's a noble job. It's now, like you said, it's just the people that were once qualified don't even want to do it anymore. Yeah. And now they're just hiring people for the sake of it, just for, for numbers or whatever the case may be. But my brother, it's like his little, his little strong little team, like just slowly, like you guys are either lateral in other places or getting promoted or it's just all the good ones, man. They're just like slowly breaking apart. And it's sad, man. It's because like, I know my brother 
he loves law enforcement. He wants to protect and serve. He wants to do a great job. Yeah. But it's almost like they're not the great, they're not allowed to even do a great job because of new protocols and new, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Or the city doesn't even have their back, you know, and, and it's just, it's scary, man. Yeah. So did you experience like that from like, and did you work in a city that was difficult to have the support or did you feel like you're like Kirkland? Was it? Yeah. The, well, the county, the county I worked in, like, you know, King County was, it was rough just because it was very on the, you know, left on the political spectrum yeah. and they were, you know, we were three miles from Seattle. So we got a lot of that politics and bleed over for stuff. Now, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be careful because I mean, but the individual people like that I worked with, you know, always did me right. Yeah. But you always still fought a lot of those battles politically oh, and, yeah. and state wise because, you know, the state really made a lot of the direction on a lot of those laws. And all, a lot of the laws and stuff like that were getting passed. It made the job just about impossible to at least to where you could be effective, effective without putting yourself or others in danger yourself. Yeah. Where then it's like, well, it was always this strange thing where it's like they it was very it started getting very the the line between criminal slash victim was starting to merge where they were looking it was almost like they were portraying it as these criminals are only being criminals because they're really victims so we should treat them as such and it's mm -hmm. like well that's not how it works because yeah. they're they're committing crimes a lot of times very violent crimes and if we can't have the ability to go stop that and in this and since we live in a non-perfect world and we're relying on other people's cooperation, you know, cause I, I, we, we somewhat joke about it. It's like, if everyone just cooperated and complied with lawful directions, there would be no uses of force ever. Yeah. It's like, if people don't comprehend that. It's like, you know, those only happen when someone is breaking the law or not following what their yeah. civic duty is and, the, and during a reasonable process and they do the running, fighting, shooting, hiding, all that stuff to where it's like, well, for the most part, we can't just let this person go because they're, you know, yeah. it would stand to reason they're just going to keep continuing, continuing to do it or there's someone that's in a, in a real-time danger situation for whatever they're doing sure. that we need to stop. But, you know, we slip up one little inch because we're human. It's like not out of malintent or like that. It's just, you know, they're more quick to put us on the blocks. Well, then what's, what happens? You're going to have guys that are going to be less apt to put their skin in the game to go do that and be like, oh, just let it run. Yeah. Because it, it became, especially during COVID and stuff like that, with all the riots and stuff, it became essentially a an unspoken policy that they would much rather have you allow the crimes to continue or and or let the guy go. Yeah. The, and you just let them go versus risk a potential use of force that might look bad in the public eye. Yeah. It was just, it's so backwards on because the idea is, is that there's just such a, you know, willful ignorance on the idea that evil exists in the world mm -hmm. and that you know especially as as believers it's like we know there's evil in this world and that that's not going away yeah but just to act like it doesn't exist and that it's just there's nothing we do there's a lot we can do yeah we just people don't like the idea of having that conversation that evil exists and that people get hurt because of it and that policies that are being put in place are allowing that to continue at the expense of legit victims sure yeah it's, it's just hard yeah, it's, yeah just, it's, my, it's hard to see when you look at san francisco yeah i mean it's like everything everything criminal related is like acceptable yeah breaking in the cars going into the shopping malls stealing whatever you want um i mean it's like it's 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 wild and these officers you know they don't have a taser no more 
yeah. all they have is their bare knuckle or a gun, you know? And so it's just like, it's they're now stripping, you know, these tools, um, from officers. But to your point too, it's like these officers don't even want to put their themselves into harm's way. Yeah. They'll just let it go and they'll just bat an eye to it, you know, for the sake of like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want this video to go viral of me handcuffing somebody. And if they're, you know, because it'll legit ruin yeah. their life. It's like, I'm here. I got called here. Yeah. Cause this person is doing this. Yeah. It's like, it, it's, but it's, there's no, there's no, um, deterrence anymore. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, again, I'm, I casually would, you know, even just something that's, I don't want to say simple, like, cause where they happen all the time, like, you know, take a DUI for instance. Yeah. You know, there's no accountability anymore. Yeah. So I, I used to, every time I'd arrest a DUI, um, I'd ask the guy like, or gal, um, like, Hey, if you knew, cause most of them are not getting booked into custody there. Mo- most of them can just refuse their stuff anyway. Yeah. And their lawyers are going to get them off with, as long as they pay enough money, it's going to be reduced down to like a neg or a reckless or something, something yeah. very low key. I would, I'd, I'd ask them, I was like, Hey, if you knew, just go throwing this out there random. Like if you knew that if you got a pop for this DUI today and that you automatically never get, you could never have a driver's license again. And the next time you get caught driving, not only even driving drunk, you get a year in jail. Would you have driven drunk tonight? Yeah. They go, oh, hell no. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, I, I've hundred, arrested hundreds of them. They all say the same thing because they know the risk is worth the reward of just having their little thrill because they know at the end of the day. Slap on the wrist. The, the, well, it's a slap on the wrist. And really, the, when you think about the, I think it was NHTSA put out a study, um, which is like the national traffic work. I can't remember the acronym. They, they basically set a lot of the traffic um safety priorities for the country and stuff like that. Um, they put out somewhere where it's like for every, you know, hundred or every one DUI that's arrested, there's like 10, a hundred, hundred to one DUIs that go unaccounted for. Right. And that's just, so it's just that you're not even scratching the surface and especially the ones that get caught multiple times. So it's like, you're not changing anything. Right. Whereas you're, you're constantly, you know, getting, we're playing on, on our heels and it's just yeah. at the expense again of the public. Yeah. But if you start holding, you start holding people accountable for these different things, people take notice. Like you said, like for the laws we were changing, like once the, the crooks knew we couldn't chase or pursue for like, unless it was like us, like serious, serious felony that we knew was that guy. Yeah. No one was stopping. Yeah. You go stop a guy for a cell phone or a speed and they go, yeah. Because they know we couldn't chase them. Yeah. So what? What's causing more danger in the public? Now, literally, every time we try to make a traffic stop, all right, well, he's taking off. Yeah. Or if you're in a sanctuary city, those everyone's unaccounted for. Yeah. Just let it go. Yep. You know, it's crazy to think that, like, and it's scary to think that yep. there is undocumented people in our cities all over the place. We have no idea who they are, where they're from, what they're doing, but we can't do nothing. Well, about and, you guys, can't. and how quick and how quickly that stuff will develop. Like, you know, yeah. there were several occasions, like when the riots in Seattle were happening, where they were so. Seattle was so hands on deck with just like when their precincts were getting overrun and stuff like that, that they would call our neighbor, the neighboring agencies and we'd send cars. And so I remember when we would double up, we'd be maybe five cars. So 10 of us, and we'd be out there shagging all the priority calls of Seattle because literally every cop in Seattle was towing the line, trying to keep their buildings from getting burned down. Yeah. Did you have to go assist with it? Uh, what was the area that they a chop the chop? We get we did so the prime the primary was Seattle in the in the in the corridor there the main part of it yeah and then which really I mean at the end of the day that was such a disaster because yeah. it's really there was nothing dealing with it. it was just trying to contain it they just let them do that and 
so many horrific things. Some people happened. were getting like killed inside. It was horrific. Right? Oh. Yeah, and cops couldn't do nothing. They wouldn't let because they, they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let you. They could, you couldn't. You damn well could get in. They would, oh. but admin in the city wouldn't let. Oh, uh, okay. They'd say no. Just we need it. This doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are so many people getting victimized in there. It was crazy. And yeah. the, you know, it's funny. It's like they even were. I remember that there was some representative for like the Chop Society. Yeah, went down to like the state academy to try to apply for, I can't remember what the legality was. It was to try to like become like the chop marshal sure. sort of thing, which it was weird that we think about it. Like there was actually some legality issues where it's like, if they actually got that approved, like somehow they could have actually redesignated that as like their own little sanctity. And it was just, it just boggles your mind. It was just like, yeah. but versus things like you could have fixed that in a quick minute. You go, Hey, call up all the day neighboring agents. Hey, we need everyone you can. We're going to go down there. We're going to light up. Give them all fair warning that, yeah. like, hey, you guys have 20 minutes to beat feet. Yeah. Anyone sticking around, you're all going to jail for a long time. Yeah. And if nothing else, because there's a lot of people there that were just there for the, to say they're there. They were hardcore. They weren't. Yeah. So, they're there to have a cell phone out with the media. Yes. Yeah. But you're going to, you start actually holding their, holding them accountable. Yeah. 80% of them would probably spook. Yeah. And the ones that are there, you're back to your, a good ratio numbers of, sure. of, you know, of, of force on force there to where you can go take care of this problem and that could have been done yeah in a way quicker but yeah. this it just set the tone for just it was just a black eye for every for law enforcement in general yes yeah. and not to mention you go down the south of portland and just the tragedy and travesty that they're still like experiencing yeah. well you don't even talk about the victims like the business owners how, yeah. much, how much how many of those businesses were put out just if not from just damage the burglaries to just they couldn't ha they couldn't operate their business storefronts for what two months three months or however long it was going they they couldn't do it or no one's like, going to go travel down there no more to go buy coffee it's like we're just yeah. the the people that owns homes there their valuation went down like it's like so all these secondary things are yeah. letting that stuff just spool off it was yeah. just it was just it was just sad yeah and it was all it's all political oh sure yeah so like let's maybe touch if you want on just kind of the struggles that you had faced as as an officer um when did you, you entered in 2007. Yep. When did you officially retire? Uh, officially um, this February. So it's been official? Yep. So what's that? So I think it was like 15 and 15 years. Yeah, 15 yeah. years. So at, at what point did you start, at what point did it start taking a, ma a massive toll on you? So, I mean, you know, a lot of it's, you know, I didn't really understand it as much as I I did until it really started hitting me in the face. Yeah, with how cumulative trauma was. Yeah, and you know, and it's not as talked about as often because obviously, if it was, you probably have less people want to come out because of what you know you're seeing and doing. But like, you know, I remember seeing a stat one time where like the average person, you know, will encounter or be experienced like one to two major like traumas in their life, whether it's a physical trauma, emotional trauma, things like that, where the average beat cop will experience 800. Wow. In the, and not necessarily them as like a victim, but yeah. they're, you're in it. You know, you're seeing something. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, you've been to, you know, so many deaths, suicides, murders, yeah. rapes, you know, all these things that they're still taking chunks of your soul and every, every time. Yeah. And you're just supposed to rinse it and go to the next call. Yeah. It's like, so there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, readily available ways to deal with that because it's still, you know, at that scale was still, you know, getting worked out. Yeah. But, um, I know for me, um, a lot of those, you know, honestly, one of the first ones that kind of really made things, you know, serious for me was, especially as, you know, coming out of football and stuff, I, you know, I was 
young, strong, you know, I could take on the world. And, you know, early on, like I'd just come out of my, I just got on our SWAT team back, you know, like 09. And, um, like one of my instructors, Mark Reniger, was super squared away dude, like just across the board, you know, SWAT team leader, army ranger, just squared away guy, um, really looked up to him. And then, you know, graduated my SWAT class. And then a couple of weeks later, um, he was one of the four in the Lakewood four shooting where they all got ambushed at the coffee shop and got murdered right there. And as a young copper, you know, looking up to the, you know, some of these guys, I'm just like, oh, shit, if that could happen to him, who it's like, that was a big moment for me of like, you know, cause I'd been in fights. I've been in things like that. You know, I, I could hold my own cause I was, a, you know, strong fit, yeah. normal football player, but you're, you're, you know, a learning f- occurred for me was like, it's one thing to be able to see your threat. And, and account for it but now you got it really switched me on but i got to start accounting for a lot of these threats that i don't see coming yeah and that already starts putting that you know your mindset in a different space so that built built on actually i just literally put out an acoustic song today about that that incident um and what year did that shooting occur that was 09 09 and that's even before like i remember 2013 is kind of when you start seeing this like now this trajectory trajectory where like now police are being targeted um obviously the media is now blowing these stories up massively to portray like any sort of police involvement shooting was unjustified um i mean you talk about the dallas shooting you talk even in california my one of my best friends joel his sergeant was killed in one of those you know mass shootings um that was targeted it was premeditated um and um so yeah, I, I think reflecting on him, and I, I, I don't want to speak for him, but it sounds very similar to you to where I think early on, like they make the rookies do the hard, like nasty stuff, like the dirty stuff, like, hey, dude, there's a dead body in there. I want you to go scrape the the body up, yeah. you know, go go bag it up. Like they, they let they make there's, the, a good, there's a good gooey one in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think early on in his career, he was doing that stuff. He was working the city of Oakland. Now, and now don't get me wrong, that's needed. No, because, for sure. Because a lot of that is, you know, especially when you have the guidance of someone that's been there. Yeah. It's not, it's a little bit, it's kind of a little bit, it's a little bit of that, I don't want to say hazing, but it's like, it's kind of a rite of passage where it's like, you've also yeah. got to show that you can handle that. Because there's a lot of people that like, yeah. have walked into their first dead body that's smelling a little south of proper. Yeah. And they quit the next day. Well, sure. They just can't do it. I understand that. But yeah. I think from the men- the mental toll it takes yeah. on you, you, you experience a lot of that kind of stuff, but then it really hits home when you experience something like you experienced where yeah. one of your best buds goes down and it was the same for him where it's like, wow, like, yeah, I've seen all this stuff and I kind of knew going into it, I would see this kind of stuff. But when something like ha- this happens, yeah. now you feel like there's a target on your back. That's like, it kind of, th- there's a perspective shift that really takes place yeah. where it's like, dude, now I can't even enjoy a cup of coffee at Starbucks with yeah. my boys. You know, I got to watch our back everywhere we go. Well, and you start, it changes perspective too, because especially then I was still a single guy. Yeah. That whole game changes. You know, once you get married, you throw yeah. a ring on it. And then even more so when you start having kids, because yeah. now it's not just about me. Yeah. Like, you know, if I got killed, it was like, you know, yeah, it would obviously suck, but I didn't have a legacy or people I was responsible for where now it's like that game gets a whole lot more real the more you start adding those in the pictures. Sure. Um, so all that stuff started adding up, Yeah. you know, a lot of stuff and, I mean, obviously for me, a big turning point for me was, you know, I got, I ended up getting into shooting, um, you know, a couple of years ago now, but, and it was, it was, it was hard for me, obviously for obviously being, you know, it's 
for what it was, but for the after the fact things because of how the situation played out. Because mm-hmm. um, the guy was he was trying to kill his his own son, and you know the son was eighteen months old and was he was strangling him out and um, to this day like you know because he was the same size and look as my son at the time, and so when it all went down, um, you know because. I would have these after it was, you know, I did what I had to do to stop the threat. Um, you know, the guy was holding the kid, strangling him, and I'd end up shooting him because um, it was just going through my checklist of what the situation was. The priority is the is in this case to save the hostage or the kid, mm-hmm. and obviously we try to mitigate that with our decision making process. With if we can end it nonviolently, it's great, but if those options or at the expense of putting the, the victim in more danger, those don't apply. Mm-hmm. So it's, you always have to choose a scenario that's reasonably going to be the best case for the victim. Yeah. And so ultimately that's why I end up having to, you know, end, end up having to shoot that guy. Um, but the hard thing for me was, well, just obviously going through that process was um, for ever after that, I would have this 20 second loop because Basically, the guy was strangling his kid. He had his the kid's head like this, and he was about to pop, damn near pop his head off. So I shot him in the forehead. Um, but what was tweaking me out forever after that is, you know, everyone's doing, you know, the great job. You, you, you did, you know, did awesome. You know, you you did what you needed to do. But I was terrified because it was in my mind forever after that. I would have this twenty second loop of he was holding my kid. And then I would go to do the same process, the same check checklist of of um, mental processes and decision making. But I would, because um, I had my rifle when I when I did it, and I had I didn't account for my offset, which is you know, like the where the where you're seeing through optics and yeah. the barrel, the line of sight and bore for the bullet and stuff. It's different. So it's after close, it's like even though your crosshairs are on target, there's actually like a two and a half to three inch gap. So you have to account for that, especially if it's precision. So in this in this nightmare reel I would have like probably a hundred times a day, um, I didn't account for the offset. I shoot, but I shoot my kid in the head. Yeah, and it would just it would just destroy me. And I it it started me down a pretty hard spiral of I hated my job, this job that I loved. I hated being at work. I I every time I would go and I would just stuff it and I would hide it and then you know. COVID starts happening where we're all getting all that drama with the, all their stuff. So you're just totally having to stuff and just continue. Cause like, I'm the guy I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm on our SWAT team. I'm on our firearms. I'm, I'm a, a, you know, the main, one of the main guys, I'm the guy that wants to be first in the door. It's like, I've got to maintain that image. Mm-hmm. I can't show this weakness because they need me. Yeah. And so I just kept stuff and stuff and stuff. And until I couldn't stuff it anymore to where I'd be in the patrol car and I just, Anytime any call was related to anything around that situation, um, I would just have these massive panic, attack, panic attacks in the car. Yeah. And kind of like what I was talking about earlier with like, you have to make, you have to start processing through and when you're driving to a call and how to deal with that call because it's intense. Like I'm now fighting my own internal panic and anxiety because what Murphy's telling me, like Murphy's law is that it, I'm going to get another shooting but I'm going to screw it up and I'm going to go to prison mm-hmm. and someone else isn't going to raise my kids and family. And that would terrify me. Yeah. And so I was so averse to 
wanting to do the job that I love forever. Um, and it was breaking me down. Like I would be driving to these calls, screaming in my patrol car, doing everything I can to calm down in that mile and a half drive to wherever the call is going to. So that when I get out, I can yeah. be Mr. Professional again and go handle this other, this next problem that I've got to go deal with Yeah, just to then hopefully get out of that get back in the car and can just go back and hide somewhere Yeah, because I was just, I was not in a good space and it started manifesting physically in a lot of ways. Like I started getting a lot of, um, like my blood pressure was through the roof. And at the time I was still a relatively young fit guy. So it's like, but I have the blood pressure of like a 70 degree two pack a day smoker. Yeah. And it's like, it didn't make sense. And like, you know, my, you know, libido is down. It's like, you know, like my drive to do anything was down. I had nothing. I'm like, so of course, what do I do? You know, hey doc, I, I need a blood test because I need, you know, maybe I'm low T or I need, I got something I need to just, so like, give me a pill so I can feel better. You know, the typical response. I go there and they're like, hey, no, you, your blood's looking fine except your, your blood pressure's crazy high and you're, um, I can't remember the chemical. I have to imagine you're sleep deprived. Oh yeah, you, your sleep's terrible. Yeah, we can't because it's I, nightmares every night. Yeah, yeah. It's like and again with that stress, but oh, the cortisol. Your cortisol levels are off the charts, which yeah. is your stress response. Yeah. So you're constantly. So your mind is when you're reliving these visions and stuff like that. What people don't realize, you know, there was a book that that we learned about, like when I was at this um, post traumatic stress place, where it's called um, "Your Body Keeps the Score." I mean, where it's like you know when you experience trauma like that, especially unresolved trauma. Anytime you think about it, your your mind is prepping your body yeah. for that to happen again. So you're getting that those that adrenaline response, that cortisol response. Even though nothing's happening, you're just reliving it in your mind. But your body is thinking you're going through it again. So you're almost reliving those same experiences over and over and over again. So you're just draining, just depleting yourself there because your body's telling you, "Hey, you got to deal with this." You know, the wheels are falling off. That's what you know. You know, all these different signs of you know, the blood pressure, the physical stuff, you know, some IBS stuff. Like my body was just breaking down. Yeah. And again, my initial response is just go right down, just keep going along. Cause well, that, and that, and that, that goes back to football too in sports. It's like, man, water makes you weak. You don't need to yeah. break. You don't hate this. Don't show weakness. Don't show vulnerability. And that's, that's a lot of things that we go through. But in this particular um, circumstance that you, you're dealing with, um, I mean, did you, did your wife have any idea of how, much struggle or were you married at the time yeah yeah did she have any idea of the struggle or the yeah it, of it? you know she revealed that to me um down the road and i think it was you know there was because obviously there'd be times you know we weren't nearly as intimate as we were in the past and that was obviously a change and yeah. she obviously noticed that and um just i was cold and i was short and the other thing that i was coping with is that i was doubling down on what i felt i would made me important which was work stuff so i was doubling down on overtime and picking up shifts and being out there being available because really what i was doing in a lot of ways is i was i was suppressing my own hurt and pain by trying to be distracted by this other stuff trying to stay busy trying to stay busy with things was something i felt i had value in yeah and that was not the best thing for me yeah but on the flip side like solitude and like would be awful too I mean, just you and your your thoughts alone. Yeah, I mean, it would drive you insane. It was it was terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. It really didn't come. It, really, some of my turning point um, was obviously music was a big part of that. Um, but even like the transition of getting out, um, like my brother in law was in a pretty a pretty gnarly shooting too. 
and he ended up going to a spot in Utah um, called Deer Hollow, and he saw the writing on the wall too with me, and he kind of was one of the first ones that was like, "Hey, just let's be real. Like yeah. these are some good folks. They're 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 there for the right reasons. Yeah. Give them a shot. Just talk to them. Yeah, and that." progressed I, I initially had a conversation with them and not too long after um i was having another breakdown and and the doc was like no nope. i told him my whole story and like well you know kind of went down the road of okay you're you know you're officially essentially diagnosed with you've got some uh post-traumatic stress related to this stuff yeah you know no, no different than what there was what was refreshing from them they looked at it no different than a broken leg yeah it is an injury it's like in in, in that, that, that your department um, that was the, one of the doctors that I know okay. to see. So I, I kept the department in the dark for as long as I could. Cause I didn't want to share that this, I was hoping it was going to be something I could go to burn some sick time, go get this figured out and then be, be right as right. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I really got started diving deep into what I needed to yeah. start being right for myself that, the you know, a lot of that, the, the trauma stuff, you know, they say it's like they think it's the best way to heal from it is you have to separate yourself from the causation yeah. and then allow yourself to heal. Where if you just continually just stay in that cycle, you're constantly just ripping that bandaid off and, yeah. and you're never essentially going to heal. Yeah. Um, so ultimately I went to that place uh, in Utah. It was 35 days. Um, it was one of the hardest, but amazing experiences though that I had ever gone. And up to this point when you decided to kind of check yourself into this therapy. Yeah. I mean, you really didn't share the story with any of your coworkers or sergeant or lieutenant or anybody that you really opened up. I mean, I yeah, I had one, one supervisor, a good buddy of mine. I gave he I he was obviously a great friend of mine, and he just happened to be one of my supervisors. I gave him like I was like, hey, bro, just let you know because you're gonna hear it soon. But I'm gonna be taking off for a while to go. So how, how from from the from the incident to the time you decided to check yourself into this therapy to really address the issue like how long are you dealing with this two years that's a long time yeah so that whole two years like you you really sought no help you really kind of just try to shove it away and shove it under the rug and yeah I, quite, quite the opposite i was still on the like our like i was on our peer support team and stuff like that where i was trying to just shove stuff my shove my stuff because my greater purpose was to still help others yeah and it wasn't a while. It took a while before it was like, I can't help others if I'm also breaking down yeah. and not able to help myself. Because, yeah. So a lot of that, yeah, it, I, I, I danced with those demons for a long time yeah. until I just couldn't anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, and God put it on my heart. You said, Hey, I, I'm going to keep putting these roadblocks in front of you until you finally start listening. But even after the isn't protocol that don't you take like a leave? If there's any officer involved shooting, is there, is there like, the time, the the leave time, where yep. obviously there's an investigation, there's yep. a lot of internal stuff that goes on. There's maybe possibly an external company comes in to evaluate the situation, and sure. you're you're on a leave, right? Yeah. How long was that leave for you? Mine was about I think three and a half weeks. Okay, so really not that long. At and all. and really, but a lot and a lot of that is, you know, it's kind of two like a two and one kind of thing where a lot of it's for that hey. Give some separation, you know, obviously you're involved in incident, but also there's a, a part of the legal legal side of it where we have to make sure that there was no, you know, maliciousness or, you know, yeah. any kind of, there was, it, it seems like it's get, checking out, like it's within policy and stuff like that procedure, because obviously if there's any questions about the shooting, yeah, 
you, you as an agency they can't put you back on the road yeah. ending something that's that could sure. potentially be criminal yeah so they have to make sure that that's all squared away which you know when my stuff came back it was all fully cleared and justified yeah um which is actually interesting that the county i'm in or was in they have their own separate inquest process that is still not over i actually just got notified that it's probably going to happen this fall so again getting ready for that which is just a whole separate thing for involving shootings with them yeah. so i got to figure out what i'm gonna do or how that's going to play out with yeah. whether i have to go fly back to do that or if they can do a remote thing but but even that three and a half weeks you're off like they don't offer any sort of support for therapy or psyche valve a lot of it's a lot of it there's some stuff but it's very much self-driven well, it's for them to check their boxes, right? It's, so. it's it's like it's like anything. It's it's very a la carte. Yeah. There's not a lot of like mandatory stuff because you're you're starting to blur this line of, you know, truly dealing with like medical health where it's like they can't really yeah order you to go do some. They have to do there some minimum things like you said before they can clear you back for duty. You know, you have to see the psychologist. You've got to um you know go through and like you know requalify on your pistol and things like that. Your firearms because yeah. you know some people after a shooting it's like now they're terrified of. And get the go yeah. off. It's like it's a real thing, and it's not a knock on them. It's like yes, yeah. it's just it happens. And so there's this thing that they've learned they've got to check those boxes before they can reasonably put you back out there and start handling calls. But you kind of just save face through the process and like I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or I mean, well, were you good at the moment? And then it just it, over time it slowly started just. I think I was. I think I was still very much in denial that it happened. Yeah, like it. It just. It, it took a long time, like, for, I mean, I was having those same nightmares and stuff like that, but I was still shaking off, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this didn't happen. Yeah. Like, it, it, like, I don't, they just, it all just, it, it just happened so quickly in the yeah. process of just, but I think just the gravity of a lot of it just kept chipping away at me. Yeah. And more, especially once I was back on the job and starting to go to more calls and, yeah. like, you know, some close, you know, I had a couple of times where it was, like, there there was another couple of chances where it was, like, that this is it, but then I go right back into like make sure you don't because you know in your mind you know it's going to go bad so you better find another answer or yeah. remove yourself or let the guy go or do what you got to do because in that self you know selfish self-preservation yeah. preservation mode of what i've been where her, my mind has been telling me and, and really all it is is it's your body and mind don't want to go through that again so it's really a uh, it's really that fear and anxiety it's really a, what we learned it's a protector your body and mind are trying to protect you from going through that again yeah and if it's got to be their mind telling you this line that it's going to go bad if that's going to help keeping you from doing that in your your body and mind that's a win yeah so it's it's a weird thing for that that fear as a protector kind of thing which you know i never knew about until yeah. you know we learned at that place i was at but it made a lot of sense of why that you know it's not a bad thing it's just not appropriate for the process or let alone what that the job you're asked to do is like you've got to put yourself out in those situations yeah so if you're having this big you know, you know, reaction to not want to do that. It's like, and to have these physical manifestations, the breakdowns, it's like, it's not, I wasn't the, I wasn't the guy for that job anymore. Yeah. And that, that was a hard pill to swallow because that was such a huge part of my identity. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was probably one of the biggest roles. Once I kind of went down that road of the best thing for me and my family is that I might have to go do something different. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Because I've been, this is all I've done. It's like you said, it's yeah. good paying benefits, pensions, all that stuff. It's like, this is all I've known since I was and one loved kid. And I, and I loved it. Yeah. And, and I, I never had a plan B. Yeah. That was, that was the thing. It's like, and 
I just never did it because I, in my mind, I was like, do it forever. I'm never going to get hurt. I'm going to do my 35 years. I'm going to retire. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I'll, I'll get the gold watch and then yeah. go sail off in the sunset. Yeah. Well, that's, that got cut short. And so I was having a, a big, you know, come to Jesus, like literally of like, what, what do you want me to do? Cause I don't know what I'm, what the answer is. Yeah. And I had to give all that up, that control and just go, Hey God, what do you what am I supposed? What am I supposed to do? Sure. Because I know I know I was supposed to do a lot of this stuff, and if if my whole time on the PD was for that moment to save that kid, I chalk that up as okay, it was worth it. Okay. You know, if that might if that's my story and that if that's what my road had to be, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I still need to figure out what I'm going to do after that yeah. because you know I still got a wife and kids that I got to take care of and and just be healthy in myself. So it's like that prompted a lot of like yeah. All the doors related to the PD side of things and law enforcement were closing, and then slowly but very clearly, um, things related to music started opening. Yeah. And you know, my wife was like, you know, we come we come out to Nashville before, like wants to go play well to play whiskey jam. Yeah. And because um, I'd started writing music more, and um, and that became a really good therapy for me. You know, I started writing a lot of my pains and struggles down, including like, you know, one of the breakthrough moments for me I was sitting in in the bed my wife was sleeping and I set my guitar I was strumming this was just a couple of weeks after my shooting and I started just strumming some chords and um the line at the pot of my was like Lord I come I come to you there's a pain I'm walking to and it was literally the pain or the prayer I was having walking up to the scene as I'm standing on scene immediately after and I just started losing it right on the bed and I'm just strumming this guitar and I wrote this song in like maybe 10 minutes and it's literally just the prayer I was having. And it's just like, okay, then maybe there's something here of, that I, that I should be paying attention to because that was an outlet that I obviously kept pinning up for a long time. Um, so that kind of one way led another. And that was that, was that like officially like your first song that you wrote? No, I mean, I, I'd written a couple things before that. Um, just kind of just tinker around a little bit, but yeah. I never, you know, and I and I did the. I was still involved in the music. I was doing like the cover band thing and things yeah. like that. But I was never. Really, I wasn't putting a lot of stuff out or like that. I was still learning. I just was. It was just an outlet for me. Yeah. And um, but slowly, I just I started writing more and just kind of allowing myself to kind of go to that vulnerable place. Yeah. And just tell the stories that both either stuff that I experienced or things that I'd seen, or just and hopefully it helps somebody. Yeah. And like that kind of just kept developing and that itch kept growing and you know i had reached out to ward at uh at whiskey jam and was like hey i know this is a you know kind of right of passage here and it's a, it's a it's a very pre- you know prestigious thing to play whiskey jam if there's any chance i can get on a lineup i will f- fly out to yeah. nashville and, and i didn't think he would take me up on it um just because it's like i'm some nobody out in the pacific northwest never been to nashville nothing like that and you know, he ended up hitting me back. He's like, yeah, man, what do you think? Could you do this date in, in March? And I, and just, it got really real. I was like, oh. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, we, we flew out, we did that, and it changed my whole perspective on that that um, excitement of, that I had my entire life of being a cop. It almost like seamlessly started transitioning of like, I've, I'm finding that again in music. Yeah. And it just, it was like, Oh, this could be a this could be a reality. It's like so, past that, you know, because then not too long after that was when I ended up going to the Utah thing that really cemented the idea that I've got to start, I've got to separate out, and that maybe music's an option. And then, one thing led to another, and just at at that point, like my wife was like, 
well, if we're if you're if we are doing this, if we're if you're getting out, why don't we just move to Nashville? And I just that kind of took me back because I never said those words out loud. Yeah. And to have her be the first one that said it, it was like, okay, maybe God's putting this on not just my heart, but it's on hers too, and it's preparing her heart as well. And I, I remember even before a lot of that stuff happened, you know, I think it was even before my shooting, it was like we were out in the hot tub and like I just I felt something in my heart. It's like I don't know what what it, this is like. You know, early 19, I was like, I don't know what it is, but God's putting something in my heart that just says, just get ready. Yeah. In our, and which, you know, and just, I didn't know what it meant of like, we're having another kid or for, cause we've always talked about adopting and things like that. And then, you know, I was right before COVID started kicking off. It's like, I don't know what that meant, but just get your hearts ready. Be ready. Yeah. Um, stay ready. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and uh, so lo and behold, they just, things lined up to where the, the decision to get out of law enforcement was was happening. Well, then what that looked like, I don't know. Yeah. Like it, as far as like, I mean, I you know, coming out here as a starving musician, like just in the middle of where every musician and songwriter is here. Um, but some good friends of ours, they were looking at buying a house, and like they kind of we kind of cued them in on what our plans were a little bit, and they were like, "Hey, low key, just no pressure, but we love your place. Whenever you're ready, just let us know. We'd love to buy it." Yeah, and we're like. God, when you're coming out with these with these clear things, it's like it keeps knocking you over there. It just it is. I mean, and they later we we set a price and they're like, Yep, sounds good. Yeah. And we were able to do off market with them. You know, you're out here and I'm like, Hey, Matt, I don't so know. You hit, you hit me hit me. Hey, we're thinking about moving to, to Nashville. I didn't, like I was like, Hey, right. I was like, Hey, you know, you're the only you, you, I was like, I know you were messing around in real estate. I know we're yeah. probably in a little like we're probably not gonna be in Nashville, but we're trying to figure it out. And um but here's what we're kind of looking for. And you, you, you hooked it up and just you yeah. know, nailed it out. I mean, that was a, that was a big scary process. Yeah, you, know, sure. that, you were, you were yeah. a, a huge blessing in that process. Yeah. That was a huge stress that I was able to just kind of offload and just go, Hey, here's what we're looking for. It's like, I don't yeah. know what this looks like. I don't know if it's just going to be, let's find a, this will work for now house. Yeah. Just like, cause we have so many parts moving in this yeah. process. Let's just get to Tennessee yeah. and we'll figure it out. And, no, it was, it was a blessing for me, man. First, I mean, for you and your family to trust me and finding that that home for you guys out here. Um, little shameless shout out if you're looking for a house in Nashville, hit hit your boy up. Facts. No, but uh, no, you hit me up and you're like, hey, we're making this massive life change. Not only are you putting the, you know, because people will come out here for law enforcement. Essentially, you're quitting law enforcement and now you are taking on this new endeavor, a passion of chasing the music and the dream. And as a, as a singer songwriter and, um, you hit me up, you're like, Hey, let's look at some houses. And I remember the first, um, we had you going ever <laughs> first few houses though. Like there was some that you really liked. And this is the, the tough part of, of being an agent is like, ah, oh, man, it's already under contract or, or man, like it, whatever the case. It's out of you. Out of yeah. Control. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, Hey, the right one's going to come. The right one's going to come. Sure enough, found you a, a beautiful home out in Dixon, um, and you guys moved out here, made the leap. Yeah, you know, and... sight unseen. We had we, you, you did. We did one Facetime with you and you. All right, like put it off. Let's go. Let's go. Let's we go. Go. Yeah. And... All right. So uh, let's talk about Whiskey Jam. Yeah. So you came into town. Um, you got on the lineup for Whiskey Jam. And for those that don't know what Whiskey Jam is, it's it's kind of like what's well, Tuesday nights, right? The Tuesdays, it's Thursdays, and Mondays. Oh well, I got that completely screwed up. But anyway, it's it's a. It's a tough card to get onto as an artist because it's a massive platform. Yeah. Um, it's at it's at Winners, right? Yeah. 
It's a winner's small stage, but a big small, footprint. Yes, or big, 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 big platform, but small stage. Every big name has been on that stage at one point in their career, okay. whether they know who Luke Combs is yeah. or they don't. But I remember when Luke Combs played there back in, I moved here in 2017. And when they put, I think Hurricane had just come out. And yeah. when they put him on Whiskey Jam, dude, it was like you couldn't even get in. Right. Like all of Midtown, like that whole winners and losers area was packed right you know but so every big name essentially has been on that little small stage for and so for you as this like new like no artists right nobody. um and this being like your dream and for you to get on that stage pretty early on was incredible but talk about your experience like now that you're going to be on that stage you're seeing who's performing before you and after you seeing like how much talent is here in nashville when i came to watch you play I was watching you, and this is my first. Which, time. which shout out to you because you you guys were like just about, if Bree did one more jumping jack, she's about that. Yeah, I know. I think yeah, it was just like hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sneak out. out for an no, hour. I might be able to come, there. but we also yeah. might be in labor. I'm I like, know. hey, no friend. Yeah, I snuck in. I'm like, cool. Watch my boy Mike play. This is my first time seeing you play. I've seen some things on Instagram um, up to that point, but getting to see you on the stage and perform for a live crowd. Um, I mean, I was thinking, I was like anxious for you. Yeah, because this is a massive opportunity for you. But then just to see like the talent that comes on that stage day in and day out is incredible. And these are all like no name people. I remember this one girl, I think she was performing before you or after you, but I was like sitting back like, dude, like this chick is the real deal. Right. And no one in the crowd even knows her name. Right. So to my point, it's like, gosh, dang, like how stressful and how like, daunting is it to like put yourself out there at such a early stage of like this career you're trying to chase um and just to like have your eyes wide open like dude this is a talent that i'm like and everyone else is going against and these are like nobodies right how am i ever gonna make it right right so what is your thought like obviously you're excited for whiskey jam but i mean what was your experience like what was your perspective um, like I said, it was very surreal because, like you said, it's literally what, like the stage that most you know folks they want to get in and play, yeah. Especially early on. Um, and then Ward Shout Ward, he's awesome. I mean, he's unofficially like the mayor of Nashville, yeah. As far as like having his thumb on just the music pulse of what's going on, yeah. Um, and couldn't be a better dude, yeah. Um, it for it was just very, I don't know. It just it was a very just. It was a it was a crazy moment, but I had to just kind of just trust that like, you know, it was very validating for me as far as like, because it was such a good experience, and like even though it's like you know I think there's a lot a lot to be said about, yes, there's it's Nashville, it's yeah. like there's there's crazy talents like so it's it doesn't do me any any good to like, I need to be the next Luke Combs, yeah, Wallen yeah. or you know any of these guys. It's like I just need to be me because at some point. No one knew who they were either. But what what I need to remember is just be authentic and just I I've got stories that they don't have. Yeah, I've got experience. That they don't, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I may not be up for CMT wars things like that at at any time. But I know there's people out there that are gonna be are gonna benefit from from the stories and my experiences. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like I I have it. I can. It's in when in my wheelhouse to portray that through song. Mm -hmm. And I think that was important to me because especially at whiskey jam because one of the songs i played was actually the one i just threw a live version out today the one i wrote about the lakewood shooting mm -hmm. so it's like i'm i'm here in nashville at whiskey jam and i'm playing this 
very important. I mean, I to this day, I barely get through without choking up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that important to me, and I know it's important to those. So it's very subjective yeah. to what it is, but it's it's also universal as far as like when you lose people that are close to you when they were taken before they were supposed to go. Yeah. So playing that kind of stuff in a crowd like that where they don't owe me nothing. Yeah. They don't, they're not, there's no friends, there's no, there's no yeah. hometown crowd. These are, this is Nashville. This is, this is Music City. This is Music Row. Yeah. It's like, and they loved it. And like, and that was, that was a huge moment for me of just like, okay, Lord, I'll take that next step. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't know where, how, yeah. how far down this road is going to go, but yeah. he's, he, he's, he gave me enough light in those moments mm-hmm. to where I can take that next step. And that's all we can ask. Yeah. It just, am I going in the right direction? And do I have enough to see that next step in front of me? Sure. And that gave me one. Yeah. And that would, and then followed by another step and another yeah. step after that. So that was, Okay. So you doing Whiskey Jam, this was prior to you making a decision that you're moving to Nashville full-time, right? Right. So you get a, you get Whiskey Jam that kind of validates your dream. It validates what God has put on your heart. It validates the passion that you had for music and songwriting. Yeah. So now you go back to Washington. You get out of this crazy mess of Music Row. You experience something great. So when you go back home, now what is like... Is that when you're like, you and your wife are like, hey, let's make this move? Like it was, in, no, no, it wasn't for... a Probably another, because that was. Well, my daughter was born yeah. in uh, oh, 21. 21. Yeah, so this, yeah. so it wasn't until, um, like I ended up, so it was another probably eight months. Because right? yeah. I ended up, so I, went, I ended up checking into the Utah place okay. January of yeah. 22. Yeah. So the, it wasn't too long after that when the, really the wheels started falling off for me. Yeah. Um, and it just made it more and more clear. Like that was just one more, even if it was passively just in the background of just like, okay, I'm giving you hints of what I want you to start aiming for. Yeah. And, but I wasn't listening. And it was, like I said, it wasn't until the wheels really fell off towards like, I've got to make some drastic changes. Yeah. And then those pieces started really falling together on, okay, it's time to, it's time to make some real changes and move. Yeah. And then once we get, once we said that out loud and kind of, it started making more, some more sense, you know, the family was hard. Um, once we kind of keep them in. Yeah. But they, you know, in a blessing way though, they were sad, but they 100% understood. Sure. And that was huge. Yeah. And they've, you know, they've all come out and visited several yeah. times. Yeah. They, they're, our long game is obviously try to coax it out to the Tennessee area. Yeah. But uh, it's a great pl- place for family to visit. It is. It really is. Yeah. It, my family loves coming. Yeah. It's like yeah. If, if of all the places to move to, it's like at least Na- Nashville and like Fun Tennessee, place. it's a pretty cool spot to come visit. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, any time of year, there's always something going on. Obviously, you can go to Broadway, but there's always there's something going on year round. So it's a fun place to entertain guests and folks and, and friends that come visit. Right, and that's one bit. It's hard being away from the West Coast because my family's all there too. Right, but again, I know that they enjoy coming here. There's so worse. There's worse places to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like you got to pull teeth for people to come visit because hey, who doesn't want to go have some fun in Nashville? Right, you know. Um, Let's, let's talk about that transition. So now, like, you and your wife, God has definitely put this on your heart. Yeah. Um, it's validation that, you know, this is something that you want to pursue. You've experienced Whiskey Jam. You call me up. We find you a house. You move the family across the country to Old Dixon, Tennessee. Yep. Um, away from your sphere, away from your comfort zone. It's you and a guitar. Where do you start? So, How did, like... So I think for me, like, a lot of that, it, I, and I got to... It kind of we talk about even like where we talk about the initial transition of like 
skill sets from football to the police world. Well, I, I took I actually took a lot of the skill sets from the police world into into music. Okay. Because, you know, even even you know with the, your experience in music here and stuff like that is this is a, a songwriting networking town. This yeah. this is where it's like you it's, have it's, to be here. You have to if be you here, but, but you have to be able to be a part of the community. Sure. And a lot of that is like you know it's you got to be out there and you got to be able to meet people and so getting over that fear of just like, you know, I've talked to everybody from every walk of life, yeah. you know, with people who want to kill me versus people that are just victims in major crimes to just, just, you know, jerks to, to great people. So it's like, I got to talk to them all. So coming out here and go, Hey, you know, I got a, I got no time to mess around. It's like, I got three little kids and a wife and a, and a whole thing. I'm not, I, I need to start hitting, making up some ground. Yeah. So I started hitting up wherever, like, uh, I started, um, I think one of the first, honestly, the first things I did was I jumped onto was like a local Facebook page for my town. It was like, hey, I'm a singer songwriter moving out to this area. Where where are people? Where are places people play? Yeah. Um, who were you know? Who should I be talking to? Yeah. And even things like, do you remember? Did you ever get in the um, clubhouse wave when that was going on with like that app thing with like? I don't think so. No. Okay, it was it was a pretty the thing was pretty big during COVID where okay. I started to get a lot of info of folks that I should be looking at. And like place the check. I think I've heard of it. Is it is it a Zoom type thing? It was like a, it was like an audio only Zoom. Okay, like, okay. Like chat groups and stuff. Yeah, like that. okay. I did hear about that. Yeah. yeah. So I got into that for a little bit, but I, so I got a lot of information on like places to play for solo rows and things like it yes. just familiar names that I was getting aware of, like yeah. that I was I'll put on the back burner. But the locally thing, they kept hitting up. Um, um, but a buddy now is named Zach Brooks. He's actually this is their shout out to Brandon Brooks. That's their band. Um. He has a local music shop out in Dixon. Yeah. And he was like, hey, he, he's kind of got his pulse on the local music stuff. Go hit him up. And so I sh- shot him a cold DM. I was like, hey, man, yeah. some so-and-so I'm moving to town. Would love him to come say hi, how are you? And just let me know if you guys need anything. Yeah. And I think it was like the next day that once I pulled into town, I went downtown because Jody and the kids weren't here yet because they got here a few days after I did because I drove out. It's a country song of itself. I yeah. drove out with the trailer and yeah. the dog and yeah. they they flew out. Um. I, I went in. Zach just happened to be there. I was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. Just, uh, just let me know if you guys have anything going. If you need anything." And he was actually, "We're, I'm putting together a songwriter around at the, our local brewery. Like, in a week or two, you want on it?" I'm like, "Yep." So I was like, "Just, because I think a lot of the stuff out here is just being pre, you know, being present. Yeah. You got to be here. You got to be present to win, yeah. and you got to be available and just prepared for what opportunities come. Yeah. And if an opportunity comes, it's like you take a shot." Well, also too, it's like it's not expecting to get anything out of those opportunities too, yeah. in the sense of like, hey, like I will do whatever it takes just to get somewhere to write with somebody or yeah. to play somewhere without expecting a dollar or expecting anything. Yeah. So I think a lot of people sometimes they only seek after those opportunities that they feel like they can massively benefit from. Yes. And in turn turn away those hundred other opportunities where it's just like, it's brick by brick, dude. Well, like, and brick no, seriously, brick by brick. Hey, uh, bags. Like, he's in like those six, five or six, something like that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, you're, you're so right though. Cause the, but the idea is that, but one of those opportunities you're seeking is probably one of those you make, like you look back and you're like, dude, that one that, you know, either I feel like I didn't play well or I didn't write well, that, that turned it, that, that turned into something extremely significant. Right. You know, but it doesn't happen overnight. No, and if you if you try to, you know, if you it's like that analysis paralysis. If you if you overanalyze yeah. God's plans yeah. and try to go, I'm going to sh- be surgical about this. Yeah, 
you're acting like you already have that figured out where yeah. it's like you don't you don't you just got to do your thing it's like but be to, you know have as many lines in the water as you can and like i've played many gigs yeah. here in town and stuff like that it, you know shout out live oak they've given me so many opportunities to play and it's like sometimes it's like if i'm doing that early shift it could be just me and the bartenders being one or two folks but that one or two folks they could be just walking down here from music row coming to get some wings and a, and a drink just it could be it. somebody and it could be somebody yeah yeah and so it's it it only it does me a disservice if i don't capitalize on that opportunity yeah. if nothing else get good practice hone my craft and you never know who's listening yeah and or if nothing else not trying to be selfish that it's how am I, am I going to advance my career? Because the whole reason I'm out here and doing music and telling my stories is that hopefully, A, it's healing for me because I'm telling my stories, yeah. but hopefully it's going to help somebody else. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to do, accomplish that if I just only keep it into myself for a certain select few people when I feel like it checks enough boxes. It's like, that's just, you know, that's just me being just, I don't know. It's just not, it's just, it doesn't make sense for me to do that. Well, I look back on my, like, pursuing football, you know, coming out of Western, it's like, you know, who am I going to seek help from if I, if the NFL is my dream, yeah. like, you know, the NFL is not knocking on Western's door to draft the next player. Right. So it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't the mainstream thing. Division two football in general is like that. People aren't going to division two to go to the league. Right. So if the league is going to be my dream, I have to put myself in, in situations where I have to seek opportunities. So what I did is I essentially, I found where the pros were training just like you were finding the pros were writing and I sought after those people and I just dove right into that community yeah. where I'm not a pro yet, but I need to be around pros, A, to better my skill, to understand the business, to, you know, I just need to be around that type of community. And again, I was fortunate that there was a training facility that just opened up where all the pros were training and I, I just dove right into that. Right. Like I kind of felt like an outcast at first because here I'm, I'm this dude that's trying to make it. You guys have already done it. But I'm just I'm I'm soaking up every little bit of information from them, the way they train and prepare, get ready for a workout, how do they, you know, all that kind of stuff. And for you, kind of the same thing, right? You're like, if I'm gonna make this music thing happen, this can't happen in Monroe, Washington. Right. You have to be, you have to like fully dive into yeah. this. Put, you're putting two million chips in one basket, which is essentially yeah. hopefully a video goes viral and something like that. Well, sure. But that that's never guaranteed. Yeah, that doesn't it's happen like, to many, many people. And, and that's just and that's just things. You you don't know, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, lines was, you know, you're always three minutes away from your life changing forever. As yeah. far as like, you're out here and you write that one song with the certain folks that just hits. Like, yeah. you know, you had Walker on here the other day. It's like, yeah. his life and his, for his, him and his whole family changed like that. Yeah. When you know, and he put his time in. Well, it took took about fourteen years for taste like to come to fruition. But it takes that. But then it's like, but then that opens the gates for everything else that he's got in store. Hopefully, you know, I'll put my time in. I keep putting my stuff out there. Yes, but that's it's what you got to do. Yeah. And a lot of people are uncomfortable to do that, or they have too much ego or pride to want to do what you're doing. Right. Because, hey, man, in this business, you got to have some humility. You just got you got to go play at a bar where no one's there. Yeah. You got you just got to put the time in. So speaking on that, you know, I've listened to a few of your songs that are on Spotify. How, because dude, like your new single, Old 45, that you just put out, the sound of that compared to music you put out or wrote for a few years ago. Yeah. Talk about just your your growth as an artist, your growth as a writer and as a singer, like being here, how much has that helped you improve your skill set? 
oh, immensely. It's, it's kind of like, well, I'll, I'll take your example of like you had to put yourself in that environment with the pros yeah. to up your game and to be in that environment. But it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like, the you know, I think, and also just coming out here because there's so many different pros or professionals or just amazing artists, but all different walks of life yeah. and all different styles. It's like, I've started getting more and more comfortable of, hey, what's my lane or what's my style or what's my message? Yeah. And be comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And just, and then double down on it. And because, just be you. And just be me and be, and that's okay. It might take a while. Yeah. But I do myself no favors if I try to copy someone that's already doing something. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, like you said in that song, was like, it, it's an important moment to me of just like, hey, there's a, there's a spiritual battle going on. Yeah. And, and putting that out there of just like, hey, the devil's real. Yeah. And we, we he's tempting us every day and yeah. we got to fight him as best we can. Yeah. And here's a couple ways we can. Yeah. So, and that just, it made sense to me and hopefully it makes sense to others. And, yeah. you know, and just trying to be encouraging myself and just to write stuff that matters. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, a lot of artists I think fall into the trap of like, I gotta, I gotta be like that person. I gotta be like her. I gotta sound like them. And that's not going to say, don't take inspiration from that. No, no. But just don't try to fit yourself. Don't copy and paste it. If you try to fit yourself into that mold that you're not even fit for, yeah, you're just going to be spinning your tires and you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Or you're, and you're not being authentic and true to who you are. As which a is not, which at the end of the day is not sustainable. Yeah. Because you can't try to be someone else for your whole life because it's not you. Yeah. So. And your next single can't try to sound like all of Morgan Wallen's songs on his album. Like, right. That works for him. Right. You know, it's not going to work for you. And I think there are a lot of people that fall into that trap. And it's not just in music. It's just with anything. Sure. We're human by design. We like to follow the trend. We like to dress like the, the cool people. And, and when you try to, you just get worn out when you try to chase something that you're not meant to chase, you know? So, but being here, I mean, what is it, what has been like, honestly, like you, what has been the massive benefit of being here? I th- Outside of the, I, I think, I think the inspiration of just the community of just the creatives and the, in the for music specifically yeah, is that, like you said, the talent is amazing. Yeah. But I think what's, what's so crazy, you know, you know, is that, but everyone at the end of the day, for the most part wants to see everybody else win and they want to see the best, let's just call it, you know, art yeah. come to fruition. Yeah. And if they're a part of it, great. If not, they might be a part of the next one because it's still, it's a community. It's just a, it's a great community. You know, I think it was the adage of it's a big city, but a small town. Oh yeah. Of like, that's the uniqueness of Nashville. I mean, it's not LA, it's not U- yeah. New York where I feel like everyone's trying to undercut somebody, right. you know, in those major cities where in Nashville, it's like, Hey, the dude, the massive producer that lives in that corner that yeah. you would never know will give the shirt off his back to help you right. in some sort of way. Well, because I think it's very unique to where even though you have these crazy successful folks, but it's very unique in this 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 career path, this industry, because almost most part of a lot of them can all have roots to where you are right now. Yeah. So they all really get it. Yeah. And so they were all in those shoes. And so I think there's very much, as long as you're, as long as you're in it for the right reasons and you're yeah. not just trying to calculate, just like we talked about, like calculating, like, I'm not gonna take that gig because it's not cool enough, or it's not, I, yeah. it's not the right look. It's like, take the gig, share your story, share your, yeah. because it's the same thing. It's like it's the same thing with like if you're overcalculating, like, ooh, I want to go, I want to go to that place because maybe I'll meet this person, maybe I can chill him up, and he might put me on this round, or he might give me a spot. It's like you're trying to, you're just, you're almost dehumanizing that relationship to where that person's not a person anymore. Yeah. That person is a tool for. It's no different than like you know, 
just a pen or a calculator or a, yeah. a patrol car. It's like they're just a tool to that job. Yeah. Versus, hey, this is a relationship business that I'm finding out. And yeah. Just be a good person for the right reasons. Yeah. And just let that community kind of keep be, become a part of the community. Don't yeah. try to use the community. Yeah. And I think that's been a, a very encouraging thing because everyone's so positive and just they're genuinely want to see you win, you know, if you're there for the right reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's, it's super awesome and it's very encouraging and it's very, in a weird way, it's definitely, um, disarming Yeah, where you can, you can, I think that disarming part is crucial because it allows you to then be vulnerable with what you want to put out there. But it's harder to do that if you still have your guard up mm-hmm. just in the everyday experiences where it's like, oh, I can, I can go into a room with these writers that I don't know from Adam tell them some deep stuff because the goal is for us to come together in a yeah. safe environment to put something out there that could hopefully mean something to somebody. Yeah. And it's, it's a cool thing to start figuring out. Good man. Um, let's touch on old 45 a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you just put that out not too long ago, yeah. right? Shout outs. Grady and Saxon studios. They yeah. Feel- sound, the song sounds great. Like I said, when you listen to that, uh, when you listen to some of the older songs that you put out compared to this one, it's just a completely different vibe. It sounds professional. I mean, your sound with vocally, I mean, it's just, a, it's a, it's a badass song. Dude. It really, it's really cool. It's a, and like I said, before we started, like the opening chords and like the mysterious type of sound it has, um, dude, I got like goosebumps, man. It was like, really? you mentioned jelly roll. It, it kind of has a little bit of like that jelly roll, like, you know, Southern rock kind of like vibe to it. And, um, and it's just, a, it's a great one, man. I'm, I, I'm so happy that you put that out, man. And, and, uh, but again, it goes back to me talking about your progression as an artist, like just listening to things from a year or two or three years ago compared to now, like the growth is obviously evident. Um, I mean, what's, what's like the goal and what's the, I mean, are you trying to do an album? I mean, are you trying, I mean, what's the, Oh yeah. And yeah, I mean, a lot of that, you know, obviously I'm an independent. Yeah. Still nobody knows who yeah. I am. All the indies, man. Well, it's, like, yeah. it's facts, but it's like, yeah. no, there's a, there is a, be- there is a, some benefit of that creative control and just say, yeah. you know, it's because I'm still, I'm, there's so much I'm figuring out. It's like, I know so little in this industry. It's like, I'm not even in anywhere near ready for, to start signing in because it's like, I don't know enough yet. It's like, yeah. I, I don't, you're still testing the waters. But so for right now, at least the, and I, you know, I shout out Grady again. He gave me some good advice on like, Hey, until it, until it makes sense. It's like for where you're at with, especially with how much influence like streaming and stuff is right now it's like you're better off just putting out singles regularly just that way you know algorithms and things like that keep uh you know and then what do you well like what's it called an ep like you just release what is it well ep is just an extended play it's like it's basically it's like basically like an album like it's like you know an album's usually like eight to ten songs plus yeah ep is usually anywhere from four to six okay so and then singles are obviously just singles yeah yeah so my my goal right now is just i mean you know, and honestly, even to protect myself, because you know, you you hope no one steals your stuff. Yeah. When you're playing live and stuff, but if it's, if your stuff's not protected or like you know down somewhere, it's like it, you could. Yeah. So my plan right now is like I, I just built like a little studio in my house. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to be dropping just some. Well, actually, I mean, I have another song we put out. We're putting out here next month that we did at Grady's, um, "The Road Unknown." So I'm like, super, super excited about that one. Oh man, that's going to be fun. Um, but then besides that, going to be just dropping like just some clean acoustic versions. Really, of just even songs that, because obviously production costs, yeah, yeah, and definitely on the starving end of the singer songwriter spectrum for now. Yeah. But that's all right. You yeah, know, so you got to cut your teeth. Yeah, but until it makes sense to cut another one, like yeah. I'm going to put out a bunch of these acoustic ones, 
And really a lot of that's going to be even songs that I probably would never have considered doing full production. But I think it still tells stories and stuff like that. And it's like, I think it's cool for people to see just almost like the behind the scenes of like, hey, not every song that's put out might not be a banger, but it's still got some benefit, hopefully, to yeah. somebody. So yeah. it's, and you're still feeding the fire of just a, still put music out and still getting honing yeah you got to stay relevant you got to stay consistent that's what i'm learning with the podcast game yeah. it's like hey it's cool if i can put out an episode but can you do it consecutively every single week for months on end you know continue to keep that audience that small audience engaged yep. and like you just slowly brick by brick baby like yep. you know we're like just slowly building this thing out and you don't know which what's gonna hit you know yeah a song i may yeah. put out that like I would have never thought to put out because it's just going to sit on the hard drive. Yeah. It might resonate with some people and yeah. then, and just, you never know. They go, well, that one's hit pretty good. Maybe I'll, yeah. maybe that's the one I'll record next. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, you just never know. Cause you're dealing yeah. with people and emotions and just where it's going to hit people. And yeah. hopefully something takes off. But if nothing else, I still am enjoying the hell out of being out here and trying to figure this game out. Well, it, it certainly seems like you just based off the of social media and just your enthusiasm of being out here and, I mean, I'm biased. I, I think it's a great place to live and raise a family. And um, I'm happy that you are here, happy that you trusted me in this process, um, helping you get out here. Yep. But man, I'm just grateful that you you know, shared your story. Obviously, some very difficult things to talk about uh, regarding your experience with law enforcement. But you know, hopefully this, this story can resonate with a lot of listeners to you know, whether they're an officer or a starving artist, yep. somebody trying to they're on that fence of like, hey man, do I pursue this or not? I mean, I think your story is an incredible one to where there's some massive impact that can help somebody make that decision. Like, hey, I'm just gonna go for it, man. You know, well, it's almost like I, the way I kind of look at it a little bit, and we, when because people be like, well, when did you think you're ready? It's like, you're not. It's almost like having kids. It's not. You're never. Yeah. You're never totally ready to have kids. Yeah, yeah. Just start. You'll figure it out. Just do it, and you won't. You won't regret it. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. you will regret if you never take that show. Yeah, yeah. So kudos to you for doing that, man. Because not a lot of people. And again, to your wife as well. Facts. 100% facts because she co-signed on this move. Yep. She got ripped away from her family and her her sphere and her comfort zone to come out here and, you know, to trust the process and to trust God into this whole thing. And you're, obviously your, your, your faith has been incredible through this entire process. Um, and I wish nothing but the best for you and your wife and your kids um out here and man just keep grinding man like you are you know and and hopefully you're on that stage at whiskey whiskey jam again and and get those opportunities willing and i'll be there man i'll be there oh yeah is the goal like i mean i know this is like potentially so far-fetched but like as an artist here in town like is the goal like always like the Ryman? is that like the the Ryman's a goal the opry's a goal yeah is that is that like the the pinnacle of like I think there's a couple there's a couple of key stages yeah like that I think would be amazing I mean even you know as a as from the northwest I mean playing the gorge would be yeah, yeah. would be ridiculous see the little, little watershed action yeah yeah gorge I mean I think red rocks would be dope yeah um I, even the caverns here if out here in Tennessee yeah, yeah, yeah. but like I think locally I think like the Ryman and the Opry would yeah. be pretty and dude keep dreaming because man and whiskey jam is one too yeah you know yep it is, and it's like, dude, you have to have a dream, man. Yep. And you have to chase it, and it's like, and and I, I definitely believe in God, divine dreams, man. Like, Amen. I God put football in my heart, and yep. there, again, there was so many different forks in the road that I could have took, and for whatever reason, like God kept that football fire lit, even if it was just an ember, like, yep. 
and but that's all I needed to keep going. And with music for you, man, I just just keep doing and keep staying authentic to you. And it's cool having just just a, one of my bros in town, and and we could reminisce on Western football, and we can reminisce on certain things. And and uh, but it's cool to see you chasing a dream, man. Yeah. It really is. So I appreciate you sharing your story and and um, allowing us to share your story to our listeners. So I think this is great, man. I did, did a great job. It's been an honor. Yeah, man. So we'll have to do it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, let us know about when the next one's dropping. But check out Old 45 on Spotify. Yep. Apple Music, too. Yeah, it's on all the platforms. But yeah, everywhere. Um, but yeah, dude, uh, just keep you going, bro. Appreciate you, man. Love you, man. Love you, bro. It was great. Let's go.